This House, and I want you to go back on Spotify or Apple Music. You can download the podcast and listen to those past uh, messages. I'm finishing it up this week. We talked about all the different aspects of our house, means you, and then your household. You need to make sure you're, you're bringing Jesus into your household. And we talked about family values that need to come back to American households. There needs to be family identity that's restored. There needs to be things that you tell your kids, we don't do that in this household. If you have the same last name as me, this is not how we act. Can I get an amen on that? And we need to bring distinction back into our American homes with family values. And so then we start talking about this house, because as we said, there are two houses everybody's building. You're, you're to build your house and you're to build the house of God. And the house of God that you should be building is where God places you. So go back and listen to those stories. So if this is your church, you should be building this house. And we began to talk about, as for this house, what kind of church we are, what our vision is. And again, we have our vision on these sweatshirts. By the way, we got new merch coming in next Sunday. Uh, this is be the, the hoodies that are available. A lot of people have been asking for hoodies. So we'll have these available next Tuesday. And it says, love God, lift others. And we've talked about that. That is the concise vision of Elevate Life Church. The overall vision is to win the lost and bring change to our communities by making disciples who will love God and lift others from the neighborhood to the nations. That's what we do. That's our mission. So if you're a part of this house, as for this house, we love God and we lift others. That's our mandate. That's our vision. That's our mantra. How many think that's simple enough to do? Amen. But remember, simplicity doesn't always mean it's easy, okay? But it's the roadmap. And, and we get this from what Jesus said when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is to love your God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. He said, if you just do that, you'll fulfill the entire Old Testament. If you just do that. And so that's what our vision is about. That's what is distinct about our house. Now, there's a lot of churches in Sacramento. There's a lot of churches in California. There's a lot of churches in America. And every house has a specific vision, a specific purpose, a specific lane. And that is our lane uh, that we are in to make disciples that will love God and lift others. Okay. So then we started talking about what are our family values or what are our cultural points? What makes us and we got into the first one. And the first one is this. We love the word. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. 
If you're a part of this house, it is my mandate to get the love of God's word on the inside of you. We want to get the love of God's word in our kids in children's ministry. I want to get the love of God's word into our youth department because a feeling and a conference ain't going to do it alone. You got to have a love for God's word because what changes you and I, according to the book of Romans, is being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And everybody here needs a transformation. Can I get an amen? Amen. Not just a change. You need to be transformed. Come on, Optimus Prime. Amen. You need a change. You You need to be transformed. And the only thing that can do that is the word of God. And here's the problem. We all know this. But until you develop a love for the word of God, this is going to be an issue for you. Because it's not enough to know that the answer is in the word. It's, it, you have to develop a love so that you keep going back to the word, so that you look to the word, so that you allow the word to speak to you. So one of the cultural points that we have here is that we love the word of God. And I'm trying to do everything I can to point you to the word of God. That's why I don't do TED Talks up here. I'm not up here to just give you, you know, two points in a poem, and I'm not up here to just tell you, you can make it. Come on, you know, put on a happy face. You're going to be all right. Everything's going to work. No, I I can't do that because I'm trying to get you in love with the word. The only way that bad attitude of yours is going to leave you is when you love the word. The only time you're going to get the love of the world out of you is if you love the word. Can I get an amen on that? And so you've got to go after the word. So when I preach, I try to give you scripture and more scripture and more scripture and more scripture and more scripture so that you could start getting familiar with the word. Because what you need to do is you need to spend time with his word every day. Spend time on your own reading his word. And, and, and so if, 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 if you do that, you'll change. Amen. Tears won't change you. Regret won't change you. But the word of God will change you. Yes. And if you haven't already, you need to download the free Bible app. Come on, somebody. See, you guys don't even appreciate the magic of the Bible app. Because, see, I got born again in 1990 before phones. Can I get an amen? I'm an old guy. You had to say amen right there. That's jacked up. That's so jacked up. God forgive her right there. Amen. I forgive her. But we didn't have phones. So when I fell in love with the word of God, I had to carry that big old Bible with me. Amen. And then if I wanted a second translation of it, I had to have the New King James and then I had to have the NIV. That's two Bibles I'm walking around with. Amen. And then if I wanted to look up a word, I'd have to have a concordance or a Bible dictionary. I've had to carry that with me. And those suckers are like that. And so I was that guy with a big backpack with me going to church because I always had Bible versions and stuff like that. Now you don't need that. Now you just have a Bible app. And when you read a scripture in the Bible app that you don't understand and you want it in a different translation, you just poke a button. Y'all got it so easy. Come on, somebody. Amen. You don't appreciate it. To me, that's like amazing because I had to work for mines. I had to work. I had to look up stuff. I had to grab books and all these things. So we can't take these things for granted. I want to encourage you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you got to love his word. Why? Because Jesus and the word are one. John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. You know what that means? When you spend time in the word, you spend time with Jesus. 
See, we like to make this, you know, we, we can let our, our imaginations go sometimes. And we think spending time with Jesus is simply talking to him in our car or talking to him in, you know, our room while we're praying. But let me tell you something. When does he get to talk to you? I'll tell you when, when you read his word. That's when he gets to talk to you. Prayer is you getting to talk to him, but reading his word, he's like, okay, pull up a chair, son, daughter, and let me tell you how to live this life. And when you read it, it's, it'll come off the pages and he'll talk to you about some of the things you're dealing with right now. Can I get an amen on that? He'll talk to you about your attitude. He'll talk to you about where your money's going. He'll talk to you about how you're treating your wife how you're treating your husband. He'll talk to you about what you're listening to on the radio. Come on. Well, he'll, he'll, he'll talk to you and he'll talk to you in that word. And as he does, you've got to learn to hear his voice. And so we talked about what it means to love the word. That's our first culture point there. Number two, we talked about also that we pray on the count of three. Let's all say that together. One, two, three. We pray. Now, some of you don't pray, but you said that it's not a lie. We're declaring that into your life. Amen. Because, see, the average American Christian doesn't have a prayer life. It just it is the way it is. Because the average American Christian uses Christianity as a religion. And we just try to keep the rules and we do the stuff and we go to church and we're in. But what Jesus is, is desiring is a people that will pray. And a few weeks back or a couple months back now, I was talking to somebody that was on staff at another church. He doesn't go to church here. And he was sharing with me, he said, Pastor, you know, I, I'm just realizing I've been a, on staff, I've been in ministry, but nobody uh, in, in the church I went to has ever taught me to pray. And that just hit my spirit. And I said, you know what, that'll never be said of anybody that comes to this church. If you don't learn to pray here, then it's just because you didn't try to learn to pray. And so we, this, this, we did a sign-up sheet a couple weeks back for our prayer school that we're going to be doing. It's a four-week course. It's going to be meeting on Thursday nights. If you signed up, don't fret. Somebody will be calling you this week and letting you know about that uh, because we had, we had more than enough people sign up and we had to shut that down. We had so many. We're actually going to have to break it up into, into two or three courses because I don't want it to just be a bunch of people coming together. I really want about 15, 12 to 15 people where we can just come in an hour uh, a week and pray together and you can ask questions and I can ask you questions and we can make sure that we're getting in the spirit together because I believe that prayer is caught, not always just taught. Can't just teach you how to pray. We gotta show you how to pray. And then as I'm in prayer, I need to be able to look over at you and I go, do you feel this? Are you sensing? Do you know what this is? And walk you through that. And so we're going to be doing that. And we're going to have more opportunities for you to learn to pray. Why? Because one of our mandates that we have here is that we love the word and we pray. Why do we pray? Because prayer will change your life. Everything I have at my age right now, everything I've been able to accomplish since being saved was birthed in prayer. The woman that I've married was birthed in prayer. The children that I have were birthed in prayer. The things that I have, the places I've gone were birthed in prayer. The people that are in this church, you were birthed in prayer. I don't know what I would do. I don't know what kind of life I would have if I didn't know how to pray. There were times where I wanted to give up on things. But I prayed instead. Prayer kept me in the game. Prayer kept me in my marriage. Prayer kept me pastoring y'all. Come on, somebody. Amen. 
When I wanted to quit, I would go to prayer and God would encourage me. God would strengthen me. So my desire is to put that inside of you because the book of James tells us that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man will avail much. Translation, prayer by the righteous, it works. It does things. You know, you could pray things into existence. I've seen it in my own life. There's no good reason why a person like me should have had the opportunity to go to 40 different nations. I don't have a website. I don't have business cards. I don't call people up and say, hey, come have me preach. God works it out when I just walk the floor and I pray for the nations. I pray for what God's going to do. What will happen if you do the same in your life? Single people, before I ever met Tina, I prayed. I prayed. I walked the bedroom floor. I used to go out to this area called the Shores in the town where I lived in. And it was an area where they started building houses, but they ran out of money and they stopped. And so there were just these streets. And I used to go to this place and there were no houses around. Uh, sun, I mean, the, the stars were out. And I would walk around my car, park my car, put some worship on and walk around that car when I was feeling lonely. And I would go out there and say, Father, I thank you that you have a wife for me. And instead of staying home crying on my tears, tears on my pillow, I would get in my car and go walk around my car under the stars saying, Lord, I thank you. You got a wife for me. And God, she looked good. And God, she's strong. And God, she could cast out devils. And God, she will never stand in the way of me serving God. Instead, she will serve God with me. I called all that stuff in. That's probably why it took eight years, because God's like, I ain't got one like that. I ain't got one like that. Give me some time. Give me some time. And it took time, and boom, he, when she was ready, he was like, okay. But I'm just telling you, we, we prayed over every child that came, that when we were pregnant and, 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 you know, fighting for those things. And when the doctor would come back, when we'd get the checkup for the baby, and they'd say, oh, it could be this, it could be that, we would just pray. I remember, I think it was Selena who was born uh, it, it, there was a little struggle with her when she was being born and we just prayed, you know, and then when after she was born, I told you the story a couple weeks ago when she was had a high fever in the grocery store, Pastor Tina was with her and we didn't know what to do. She went into convulsions and Pastor Tina just began to pray in other tongues. We pray it works. And if we can produce disciples that will pray, what will God do for you? Amen. And so those were two culture points. Then we talked about the third culture point we, we brought in uh, two weeks ago is this one. We do our best to believe the best. These are our family values as a church. We want to produce this in you. We want to be a people that are leaving the mindset of the world that always is suspicious and looks at people and picks out everything wrong and looks at society and likes to def confess all the things that are wrong with South Sacramento, that are wrong with your neighborhood, that are wrong with your family. And we like to be drawn to that, but we're changing our mindset to be a people that will do our best to believe the best because our natural inclination is to believe the worst. Amen? Amen. Tests have shown through COVID on Facebook and different things that when people see a post that is negative, it gets more clicks. And that's why if you'll notice, the news in the last four years has gone more to bad news because they know bad news causes people, I want to see that. 
I want to look at that. So where it used to be when a storm came through, it would say stormy skies this week. You know what they say now? Atmospheric rivers over California. Come on, how many have heard that term? See, I'm an old dude. I don't remember them saying that before. That's not a, that, but see, those terms cause us to believe, oh my Lord, we're all going to drown. There's going to be flooding. It's going to be this and that, and it's going to get so bad. See, our mind is just drawn to that. But in the kingdom, it's different. Philippians chapter four, verse eight puts it like this. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, listen, meditate on these things. Can I get an amen on that? Now, I know you were probably raised by a mom that was worried about everything. Can I, don't say amen because she might be here right now. Don't want to hurt mommy's feelings. But, but, you know, everything, mommy was worried about everything. If you're on the way to school, she was, she was praying over that bus that it wouldn't crash. She was, if you're at school, she was praying for you to not get beat up and no one would steal your money. Always bad thoughts. And if you were late coming home, hi, mijo, where were you? I thought maybe you got hit by a car. Always drastic stuff too, right? I thought maybe somebody took you. Took me? How many times I know what I'm talking about? Your mom always had these drastic scenarios that she was afraid happening to you, you know? Uh, and it's just, it's easy to be like that. Some of us were raised under conditions where the people that raised us always were believing the worst. Guys, in the kingdom, we have to exchange that mindset. And how about if you just start believing the best? It's always, well, what if it doesn't work? Well, what if I don't get healed? Well, what if I don't get the job? How about if we were to flip that and be like, I'm going to get this job. I'm going to get healed. I'm going to get a good man. Come on, somebody. I'm going to find a wife. Instead of all this, well, what if I don't? What if I don't? What if I don't? Since the problem we have, and in the kingdom, we've got to correct that. We also have to correct it because Jesus has commanded us to love people. And we can't love people if we're thinking like this. So this, you know, most people, when they meet somebody, they, they'll, they'll identify right with what's wrong with that person. And they can quickly tell you why they don't like a person or what's wrong with a person. But they have a hard time finding what's good about a person. It gets even worse when you understand that Jesus said before you can love your neighbor, you got to love yourself. Some of you don't even like looking in the mirror because you look at the mirror and you see everything wrong with you. You see, oh my gosh, I don't like my hair. I don't like this. Oh, my eyes, is that a, eye? Oh, everything's bad. How about if you stop your thinking for a moment and just look in that mirror and go, I still got it. I still got it. Still got it. I still got it. I got some gray hair, but I still got it. The gray hair looked good on me though. This little wrinkle right here, that's all right. That's all right. See what I'm saying? It, it, it brings about a different outlook into your life. Yeah. 
And it's so important because this is what the word of God commands us to do. So when you deal with people, most people don't believe the best about others, especially if, if you've come through some of the communities that a lot of us have or, or families where we, you know, in poverty or we've been taken advantage of, we're taught you don't trust nobody. There's even a saying amongst this generation that says no new friends, you know? And what that is, is like, I can't trust nobody. Everybody's, everybody's corrupt. Everybody's ratchet. Everybody's going to rip me off. And if you have that, you cannot accomplish the works of Jesus Christ. So we have to exchange that. Now, Jesus says in John chapter 13, 34 through 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you must love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all we know, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what Jesus is trying to teach us here is you need to go out into the world and you need to love people the way I love you. Amen. Okay? But before you can do that, we must learn how to see people the way God sees people. Okay? And that's where we look at Psalms 103, 8 and 10. It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. How many of you are thankful the Lord's merciful? Amen. You know what mercy means? It means when you mess up, he gives you a chance. When you mess up again, he gives you another chance and another chance and another chance and another chance. That's how God is. The Lord is merciful and he's gracious. Gracious means he gives you grace to make mistakes. He doesn't cut you off when you make a mistake. He's like, your granny, that's okay, baby. It's all right. Get up, try again. That's God. He's gracious. He's merciful. But here's the problem. Before we get saved, none of us are like that. You do me wrong once, you're out. And that's what we need to change. It also says here, listen to this, he's slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. But listen to this, and he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor does he punish us according to our iniquities. See, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as I've loved you, that's the benchmark right there. He's saying, do this. Be merciful to people, be gracious to people, be slow to anger, abound in mercy towards them. He's saying, you know, don't punish them for their mistakes. Give them grace. Tell your neighbor, give them grace. But it all starts with how you see things. So what we say around here, all of our staff team and everybody, we always tell them, hey, give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, here's, I'll give you an example. Somebody calls in that was scheduled to serve on, in a department and, you know, the leader might come in and go, man, they faked again. They didn't show up. I'll say this. Hey, give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they got hurt. Maybe something went wrong. Maybe they're struggling. And they'll say, you're right, pastor. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And so instead of calling them and being like, man, where were you? Come on, somebody. Amen. They're calling them and going, hey, are you all right? Is everything good? I know, because this is not like you to not show up for, for serving. You see, you see the difference. It all starts with giving the benefit of the doubt. What would happen if you'd give your husband the benefit of the doubt instead of assuming injury every time? How many know what it means to assume injury? You know, your husband forgets to take out the trash. 
and you're hecka mad about it. Not just a little mad, hecka mad about it. And you go, what's the big deal? And she goes, you know I always want the trash out. You knew what you were doing. You did that on purpose. You did that to make me mad. That's assuming injury. And he's going, no, baby, I just forgot. That's all it was. No, 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 you did it because of this. See, assuming injury is not giving the benefit of the doubt. So you got to give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. Amen? Amen. Come on, you got to give your kids the benefit of the doubt sometimes. Amen? Amen. And you definitely got to give your pastor the benefit of the doubt. If I don't say hi to you one Sunday, oh, he saw me. Oh, he, he definitely saw me. He just didn't want to say hi to me. See, that's assuming injury. I just didn't see you. I had five other things on my mind, walked right past you. So here's what benefit of the doubt looks like. Oh, he must not have saw me. That's okay. Pastor's got a lot on his mind. I go my way. Giving the benefit of the doubt, believing the best, keeping my mind on the right things according to Philippians chapter four. Y'all see how this works? You're a happier person if you can control this. If you're a happier person when you can believe, do your best to believe the best. Now, I put that in there all the time uh, for a reason. Do your best because you're not always going to get it right. You're always going to get it right. And sometimes I got to be reminded myself, you know, hey, man, you need to, you need to, you need to believe the best about that. And I say, you know what? You're right. I'm, I'm, I'm letting my mind take me somewhere else. Y'all see that? It's a cultural point that we want to get on the inside of you. Because your relationships will be better if you're not always assuming injury. If you just say, hey, you know what? I give them the benefit of the doubt. They didn't mean it. You know, some of, some of us in here, we assume injury on a look. You know what I'm talking about? You see how, did you see the way they looked at me? And boom, you're off to the races. Mean mugging me like that. She just got stomach problems, y'all. She just, ooh, ooh. You think she's mean mugging you. She's got irritable bowel syndrome. Right? She's dealing. She's trying to keep it together. She's in here like, oh. She looks over at you and you're just like, oh, what's with the stink face? Give her the benefit of the doubt. Give her the benefit of the doubt. Y'all say, I mean, we laugh about this, but you need to see how one thought can put you down a road that can mess up your day, mess up your relationships. I've had people, I've ran into people and I say, hey, where you been? Oh, pastor, I go to another church now. I was like, why? Well, you really want to know? I said, yeah, I want to know. Well, because one day, you know, I was in service and I said hi to you and you just walked right past me. And I said to myself, what kind of pastor is he? And I said to her, well, I'm a pastor with a lot on my mind. I'm sorry. If I did that, I didn't mean to. And she's like, oh, it's no problem. But that thought of thinking I didn't want to say hi to her put her on a path to where she's like, I'm out of here. I'm telling you guys, it happens all the time. And that's why it's important we do our best to believe the best. On the count of three, let's say that together. One, two, three. We do our best to believe the best. Okay, let's go to the next one here. The next one we talked about is we do our best to speak the best. Guys, this is important for the body of Christ. There have been more people injured 
in our churches or our families or our homes due to church gossip, okay? Church gossip is a cancer, okay? And I know gossip is usually associated with older women, okay? I won't say what age. I don't want to offend nobody. Amen. It's usually associated with that. But let me just tell you, that's a lie because I know men that gossip. I know grown men that'll sit around and gossip about their brothers. I know young girls that'll gossip. Come on, I know youth that'll gossip. So I'm sorry for the older ladies, y'all get the, you all get the rap, you know. But really, it comes down to this. It's everybody. If we're not careful, gossip can spread like a cancer. And here's the thing about gossip, right? Gossip is an equivalent to murdering somebody with your words. It's the equivalent. They prove it to you. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat of its fruit. People gossiping about somebody's divorce. Man, get that out your mouth. You don't know nothing about it, so you don't need to say nothing about it. Can I get an amen on that? Gossiping about somebody's kids. Oh, that kid, he's always, he's he's a handful in the nursery. Keep that kid's name out your mouth. It's gossip. And, and it's something that has plagued the churches all throughout history. And, and some of us have been hurt by gossip. And I'll just tell you this. Before you just say, well, that's why I don't go to church. I, I'm telling you something. Gossip's everywhere. Quit trying to make it seem like it's only in church. All right, quit, quit that. Because you know who gossips more? It, it gossips in your school. Gossip is at your job. Gossip is in your family. So before you just assigning it, yeah, well, that's why I don't go to church because people be gossiping. Well, don't have a family because families gossip and don't have a job because people gossip on the job. See, it, it, it's, it's idiocy, but it's because the enemy just wants to separate us from uh, uh, the church. But here's the thing. We've got to be mindful to get this out of us culturally and as a value of this house. We want to do our best to speak the best. Amen? Because death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. You know what that means? Those that love it will reap the consequences. It says that in Proverbs 18, 21, in the Passion Translation. Puts it like this. Your words are so powerful that they will kill or give life, and the talkative person is going to reap the consequences. I learned a long time ago from my pastor, Pastor Charles Neiman, the life you have is the life that you built. And how do you build that life? Starts with your words. You got to speak the best. You got to quit speaking so much negativity into your life. Complaining, complaining, complaining. Let me just tell you this. You might have heard me say this before. Complaining is the language of slaves. We learn that in the book of Exodus, that even though God took Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he could not get slavery out of the children in the wilderness. So they did not receive their promise. 
He took them out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of them because they refused to adjust their words. Let me put it to you like this. God prepared them a beautiful land, a beautiful promise, but the sin that kept them from it was not speaking the right words. That's it. He forgave them for making a calf out of gold and worshiping that. He forgave them for this sin or that sin. But he looked at Moses and he says, there, I'm not giving them this land. They complain too much. I'm not giving them this land because they're using what I gave them for the wrong thing. Some of you were raised by people that complained all the time. And let's just be honest. Some of us here, you complain too dang much. Smile at me, church. You complain too much. Here's the problem with living like that. Proverbs says you are going to live in the life that you speak. Do you like the life you're living in right now? Look at what you've been speaking. Well, I hate this job. It's a stupid job. I hate coming to this place. Well, guess what? You're in a place that you hate coming to. I bet you first started speaking that. You're going to have what you say. Well, my husband is so stupid. Guess what you got? A stupid husband. (laughs) That's why you will never hear me refer to my wife as the old ball and chain. Because I ain't going to be a tied to a ball and chain. So you guys that talk like that, ah, you know, the warden's calling me home right now. I hear guys say that stuff all the time. Hey, you want to go get something to eat? Nah, the warden's got me. She's been blowing me up. Guess what you're married to? A warden. We do our best to speak the best because words are powerful. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 says it like this. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. You know what this means? It means we're to speak good things that bring edification to people, build people up, because my words impart grace to the hearers. In 30 years of being a pastor, I've sat across the couch from more people that came in to see me that were broken on the inside because of the words spoken by their parents or the words their parents didn't speak. Fathers, you got to speak the right things into your kids, especially if you have daughters. Because... We've got grown women that feel they got to show their body and dress sexy in order to look pretty. Can I just tell you something? Being attractive and pretty is different than dressing sexy. Some young girls think sexy is beautiful and pretty. It's two different things. And the thing about beauty is beauty knows it's beautiful. 
sexy is seeking to be seen as beautiful. So when I get on, you know, Instagram or you see people, how they dress, some young ladies, you know what it says? When they're overtly sexy, got to show their breasts, their curves, they got to dress tight and they got to dress in a way that gets looks and likes. You know what that says? They didn't have a father that looked at him and said, you're beautiful, baby. You're gorgeous. And so what they have to do now is they got to wear a push-up bra, short skirt, get out there, pose to get men's and people's approval for beauty. Guys, and it's sad. Ladies, ladies, it's sad. But why do we do that? No judgment. I know why we do it. It's because sometimes a father was not present to say, baby, you look beautiful. My job with my daughter, Selena, is to make sure by the time she leaves our house at 18, she knows she's beautiful because I put it in her enough. And my words as her father are going to matter any, they're going to matter more than anybody else's words. So I want her to leave my home. I want her to leave my home. I want her to leave my home knowing she's beautiful so she don't have to seek that out from some joker out there who's just going to see her for her body parts. Because it's sad, y'all. It's sad. It gets even sadder when they're in their 30s and 40s and still trying to be out there. It's sad. And I don't, it doesn't anger me. It breaks my heart. Because I could see what you're after. I could see what the motive is. And that motive is there because words were missing from their life. You see it in young men. Young men that are raised without parents that are encouraging, telling them you love them, telling them you're proud of them, telling them you believe in them. A kid that grows up without those words, he begins to look for that in other places. And so what I'm trying to build here in this church is a people who will do their best to speak the best, starting with your spouse, then on to your kids, then on to your church, then on to your community. Because Ephesians says this, that when we let no corrupt word proceed out of our mouth, only what is good and necessary, it brings edification and it imparts grace to people. That means this, if you just spend time with me, I'm going to build you up. You're going to come in my presence and just having time with me, I'm going to make you feel good about yourself. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to edify you. And guess what? People are going to want to be around you. Can I help you for a moment? If you don't have friends, it could be because you don't edify people with your words. When they get around you, all they hear is the negative. All they hear is complaining, how hard life is, how hard your job is, how dumb your husband is, how jacked up your kids are. And so people are like, oh, it's good to see you. I'll see you when I see you. Because there's no edifying coming from that. Can I get an amen? Amen. 
So you could see why this must be a culture point in this house where we do our best to speak the best. I'm going to be an encouragement to you. I want to speak good things over you. I want to speak good things over myself. Let me read you that same scripture in Ephesians 4:29 in the Passion Translation. It says this, never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth. Never let ugly or hateful words come out of your mouth. Do you cuss at your kids? Do you cuss at your wife? Well, pastor, only when I'm angry. Okay, and you're angry. No, that's when it matters most. We got to get rid of that stuff. Why? Look what it says. It says, but instead, let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. What is words of grace? Hey, man, you got this. Keep it up. Keep going. Encourage, encourage, encourage. Jesus takes it a step further in Matthew chapter 12, 36 and 37. This is Jesus speaking. And he says this, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Did y'all hear that? That's scary. He says, for by your words, you'll be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. It says here, every idle word you will have to give an account for. This is severe. Matthew 12, the same uh, chapter, same verse in the passion says it like this. You can be sure of this when the day of judgment comes. Everyone, everybody say everyone. everyone. That means you will be held accountable for every careless word he has spoken. For every word will be used as evidence and your words will declare you either innocent or guilty. Guys, do you know what that means? It means this. You'll be able to tell if we're saved and part of the elect by how we talk. Some of y'all are going to try to get in them gates and be like, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, Jesus, Lord, am I saying? I prayed that prayer when I was 17. And never mind, I did a bunch of dirt after that. Never mind, I had two, two boyfriends and da-da-da. I, I said the prayer. The books will be open. And you know what will be on trial? How you speak. How I speak speaks about me. How you speak speaks about you. Now, let's start with this. How do you speak about yourself? We've got to get rid of negative, critical thinking about ourselves. Because it doesn't sound like Jesus. And every time you beat yourself up, every time you put yourself down, you are aligning your thoughts with Satan and not Jesus. And some of you do that for a living. That's all you do. Beat yourself up. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm so stupid. And you, it's all up in here. That's why it starts first with we do our best to think the best, to believe the best. And then if you believe the best, you'll speak the best. But you got you to get rid of that voice and how you speak about yourself. Because the voice you hear about yourself is usually the voice you speak with. So when you're a mother and you're too hard on yourself, guess what, mom? You're going to be too hard on your kids. 
And they're going to come home with an A and you're going to be like, why isn't it an A plus? No more video games for you. You're like, it's an A, mom, come on, same letter. Yeah, but the plus, mijo, you know, you could do better. And there's nothing wrong with pushing your kids towards excellence, but praise them for that A. Come on, amen? Amen. We've got to adjust this in our minds. We've got to adjust this because Jesus puts it in perspective. And and why is God so severe with this? I want you to catch this. I'm going to let you go. The reason God is so severe with this is because he's given our words to us as a gift. Think about this. Genesis chapter one, two, and three. How does God, your father, remember, he's your father. You've been adopted into the family of God. The Bible teaches us we were created in his image, male and female. He created us in his image. He's your dad, which means you have his attributes, his character. You're supposed to be like him. When God creates a world or a life, he does it with his words. He doesn't get cosmic dust and little stardust here and put something together and make a tree. He says, let there be trees. Let there be lights. Let there be sky. Let there be the moon. Let there be the sun. He speaks the world into existence. And then he creates you in his likeness and image to be like him. He gives you words to speak to create the world that you want to have. He he wants you to create with your mouth. And when we don't, when we just sit around and be negative all the time, I hate this job. Oh, the job you prayed for? You hate that job? Oh, the job that there's other people praying that they could have your job? That's the job you hate? The job that gave you the money to buy this house, have this car, that's the job you hate? Yeah, I hate this job. And I hate that manager. He's so stupid. I hate, I hate, I just, I can't stand this. Guys, you got to adjust that because you're going to have what you say. You keep saying that, guess what you'll always have? A job you hate and a boss you hate. But what could happen? This is where it takes faith. What could happen if you could walk into that, on the way to that office and you're driving your car? I love this job. And God, I love this boss by faith. He's getting smarter and smarter every day. He's learning more about this job every day. I love it. I love it. You see, if you can do that, you will have what you say. Pretty soon you won't need to do that. You'll go to a job and be like, oh my gosh, I love this job. Pretty soon you and the boss will be best friends. I can't believe I didn't like you when I started working here. I don't know what changed. (laughs) Going out to dinner, double dates and stuff. See, you laugh because you think it's just, you know, Jesus dust. It's the word of God. Our words have the power to create. We do our best to speak the best. Well, I hope you've been encouraged by the word of God. And if you have, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast or download our free app at the App Store and you can continue to get word every week from Elevate Life Church.